This morning's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. You can find this on page 827 if you're using one of the Bibles provided. It's 2 Corinthians verses sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is God's word. As we uh, continue to uh, envision our mission, envision the mission that we are on as a church, uh, the title of this morning's sermon is Outreach, Reached People, Reach People. And I think God is challenging us, and will be challenging us this morning, sort of in a nutshell, to reach K-Man by persuading, through practice, and with power. So we're going to talk about those three things this morning. To persuade, to practice, with power. Now our brief passage this morning, which is really more like a long sentence. And if you read scripture sometimes you're amazed that, boy, this is still going on. There's no period. Uh, it, well, this, this sentence begins with this phrase, for Christ's love controls us, or you have the NIV, it would be compels us, it says in verse 14. But what exactly does it compel us to do? What's Paul talking about here? Well, Paul is completing what is a previous thought. And that thought begins in verse 11. So the statement's part of a larger passage that begins in verse 11, where Paul starts out saying this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. So Paul starts in verse 14 in order to say, look, Christ's love is the thing that motivates us to persuade others. That makes sense? And, and having said this, let me put sort of semantics, uh, polished presentation, and political correctness aside for a moment. We are a church that aims to persuade people to trust their lives to Jesus. Be very frank about that. But what do I mean by this? First, I mean to trust all of who you are, your passions, your pursuits, your uh, circumstances, your relationships, your sense of self-worth to the God-man Jesus Christ. And by trusting Jesus, we're specifically trusting, one, that Jesus is God over all the universe and your life. Right, there's sometimes be a difference there, right? In our own mind. But secondly, we're also trusting that Jesus alone <clears throat> provides the forever forgiveness necessary to live now and eternally with our Creator. Because our rebellion, the big no in our heart, separates us from him. We need that forgiveness, and he provides that. So we're specifically trusting those two things about Jesus. But our aim is to persuade people to this. And frankly, as you may know, you've surely experienced, our world does not take kindly to being persuaded to being proselytized, to being converted, right? That is, of course, intolerant. Coming alongside people, 
to help them discover themselves or assisting them in their spiritual journey? Yes, do it. That's what the church should do. But persuasion connotates change, and no one has the right to change another. As our world says. Now, there's a problem, though, friends, with this tolerant line of thought. And I want to touch on this for a little bit. There's a problem, you know, we do respect people, we love people, you don't want to manipulate people, but when you hold tolerance as the ultimate thing, that becomes a problem. There's a couple reasons why that is. The first problem or dilemma is that ultimately you must choose which is worse, being intolerant or being unloving. Which is worse? Being intolerant or being unloving. You've heard me speak about this before, but I'll put it briefly. If you claim, if you claim to hold this key, all right, on your key ring, you know, you've got the key to eternal paradise. Even if you're wrong, for you not to share that with me, for you to withhold that from me, is radically unloving. So, and I don't care what your religion or view of reality is. You could be Buddhist, Hindu, you can be a complete nihilist. And for you not to tell me what the key to life is, it's cruel. So to share it may seem intolerant, but to withhold it is radically unloving. And so which will you choose? The second problem is this, and persuade, you know, this idea that it's intolerant to try to persuade people. People attempt to persuade one another all the time in all kinds of everyday situations. This happens constantly. I, I'm gonna, I want you to watch, I'm going to show you this video from uh, a show called Saturday Night Live. All right, it's a funny show. It's on way too late for me to watch on Saturday night. I'm working on sermon, guys. I'm, I'm with the Lord. It's DVR'd, Hulu'd, all right? But wh- I want you to see this video from Saturday Night Live. It's a funny take on an everyday situation of the kind I'm describing. Following is a message from the Corn Syrup Producers of America. Wow, you don't care what the kids eat, huh? Excuse me? Uh, that has high fructose corn syrup in it. And? Well, you know the things they say about high fructose corn syrup. Like what? Well, um, they... That it's made from corn, it's natural enough, and like sugar, it's fine in moderation? I guess... I... You guess what? That you should have kept your mouth shut? I I never... Never what? Never heard of science? You know, this is a real jam for me. Trust scientists or stay-at-home mom Sheila from down the street who's having wine at 10 a.m. I'm sorry, let's just... Let's just what? Make a bigger deal about the corn syrup? At this fun party that I've invited you to, even though I didn't want to? Okay. Hey, that's a great sweater. Thanks. It was my daughter's, but she grew out of it. Mommy! Can I have some more juicy drinks? Of course you can. Yes! (laughs) She's cute. Yep. Get the facts. Check out our website and no other websites. Okay. Oh, boy. I'm sure I'll get some emails about that. All right. I know it's... Uh, <laughs> it's 
All right, as funny as it is to see a big boned man dressed up like a little girl, we're going to try to focus here on the point. All right, let's leave Shem behind and focus on what we really see here is a normal conversation uh, in which two persons are trying to persuade one another toward her worldview. Every person, see, has a worldview, a view of reality, including what exists, where things come from, and how those things interrelate with one another. So for stay-at-home mom Sheila, her worldview uh, consists of the superiority of experiential truth, which is a very postmodern kind of worldview, that accounts of experiences from friends, right, from real people on like forums and websites like WebMD are not only valid, but they sometimes trump more uh, sort of traditional, if you will, sources for truth. Then you have uh, Mean Mom. There's not a name for her, so we're just going with Mean Sarcastic Mom. Her worldview encompasses the superiority of naturalism. Only trust what we can empirically test and verify through such avenues as the scientific method. If you can't see it, feel it, and, and test it, then it, it's not true. See, so you have competing worldviews, even in these common conversations, and maybe I'm just around kids so much that, you know, I've heard this conversation about high fructose corn syrup. But something else I want us to notice from this video, what really makes it, I think, makes the video funny, and that is that Mean Mom takes exception to Sheila trying to persuade her. You know, right, the, the claws come out, the cat fight's on, right? You see this. For the typical per- person, this only happens in situations where politics or religion is brought up, right? Where a religious person especially is trying to persuade her towards his or her worldview. But the mean mom actually, ironically, we just don't see it happen in real life, the mean mom rightly recognizes that this woman is trying to do the same thing. She's trying to persuade her towards her worldview towards how she measures what is true and what is right, and thus how she should live. You see that? So ironically, it's actually sort of the, in one way, the right response. My point is this. Don't feel like, friends, as a follower of Jesus, you can't or shouldn't throw your hat into the persuasion ring. You shouldn't participate in persuading others because people do it all day long, whether they even recognize it or not. Right? You see people do this sort of thing. So in just a minute, we'll be talking about an opportunity to reach out and work with young people in Cayman. Are we to persuade young people and their parents to trust Jesus? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because they're going to ask, Man, who are you guys? Where are you from? Tell them. Tell them you're, you're part of this awesome church that, that loves Jesus and tries to glorify Jesus. And that you love Jesus. Tell them. Persuading them isn't an ulterior motive. It's an ultimate motive. So, we want to reach out to Cayman by persuading people, but also through practice. Our second part. That's because there's one major weakness with that idea of persuading people, with just using words and trying to talk to people about Jesus. At least in certain contexts, there's one major weakness because while the gospel is the most powerful of persuaders, Paul says this in Romans 1.16, 
Even though that's the case, some ears have been so bombarded, so bombarded by so many worldviews and perspectives, that they've nearly grown deaf. Their ears can't hear it anymore. Especially grown deaf to outsiders. Remember this? Remember when you were a kid? You guys ever have school assemblies and you'd have outsiders come in? And they might be great speakers. I mean, powerful, like dynamic. Bam, bam, bam. Right? And you're like, whoa, awesome. Poof of smoke. Pyrotechnics. It's great. But when they left, it was just another message. Why? Because they were an outsider. You've heard the message before or you've heard a message like it. Other kinds of worldviews. And you didn't know them. Friends, God is asking for insiders that can help others see the good news at work by practicing it, by living it out. So when we talk about reaching out to the community, Paul, we have a great example because Paul was the ultimate insider. Read with me if you would. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22. Paul says this, For though I am free from all, in other words, he's a free man in Christ. No one can obligate Paul to anything. No one can guilt him into anything. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Look how blunt that language is. I want to win people. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Though I I was not under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law who didn't think about law or lawless, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I may win those outside the law. Look how he keeps going. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. His list could keep going, but he stops there and says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now, I've got to confess to you that I do not like country western music. All right, I, I, I know that's, oh wow, there's an actual, some smattering of applause, then hiding a face, I love that. Um, well, years ago I found myself in, a, uh, in charge of six vans of teenagers, and I was driving one of them. And uh, I had music with me, right? My, my, my assortment of music, including my uh, trusty mix of 90s hip-hop music. You know what I'm saying? Naughty by nature, not because I hate you. Anyone? Jump around. Jump around. <laughs> Baby got... I'll stop there. <laughs> All the radio edits, of course. Keeping it clean. But three girls uh, were sitting in the front row of the van who desperately wanted to listen to country music. And two of them, I knew, had not trusted their lives, had not yet trusted their lives to Jesus. And it took everything in me to put in this CD, I don't, I, this CD and play it. And then I had to, and, and then to ask about the artists, Shania Twain, etc. Songs. You know, even to start humming to the music as I listened to it over and over on repeat. And in fact, it got to the point where the girls tried to buy me a cowboy hat at the next gas station we stopped at. And at that point, I just told them, I have a rare skin allergy that will break out to anything made out of twine. So I can't have that. It's very, (laughs) scientists are baffled. (laughs) I just had to stop. But, But that's the kind of thing Paul did. To become an insider, you must be willing in situations to die to your preferences. 
right? To die to your wants, to die to yourself. Paul does that. He dies to self. He talks about that in our passage this morning, 2 Corinthians, where he says he's convinced, if you have the NIV, I like the NIV better actually for this translation, but he's concluded or he's convinced that one died for all. Jesus died for all. Not only himself, but those like those who love country music. Therefore, he must die to his preferences, to his likes in this situation. As a professor of philosophy at Oxford University, Austin Farrer once said, if Jesus is willing to be in us, which is pretty amazing, right? If Jesus is willing to be in us and to let us show him to the world, it's a small thing that we should endure being fools for Christ's sake and be shown up by the part we have to play. See, what Paul did in dying to self is love people because he loved Jesus. And Paul learned about people and then he cared about what they cared about. And so he has set for us an example for us to care about Cayman and to care about the things that Cayman cares about. Right? So let me tell you how I believe God is calling us to do that as a church. I believe that God wants the main avenue for outreach in our church to be to primary age children. And specifically, to adopt, starting this fall, Georgetown Primary School. And I want to make a couple disclaimers, and I'm going to explain more about this. But, and it doesn't mean that we're not going to support ministries, other ministries like Cayman's Ark and Women's Crisis Center. But for our, a church our size, to, our size to have an impact... For God to really use us and have an impact, we sense God calling us, myself and the elders, to go kind of nearly all in, if you would. To go all in with this main avenue of outreach. And I want to explain to you guys and give you a brief sketch of how the Lord didn't so much lead me to this conclusion as he did explode it in my face. Alright, you know how you're gently led sometimes by the Lord and other times it's like, (laughs) this is what happened. I want to give you a brief sketch of how this happened. It started back at an elder's business meeting in January. My good friend uh, Terry Pettit challenged us as to how to give more time as a church, how to give more time and resources outward. Because we've been a young church, we've had to invest a lot in, you know, organizing the church and community and this sort of thing, but we needed to start thinking outward. And this was good, but I admit that at first I didn't really do anything about it. I didn't really, you know, just sort of waited then at our, our March Servant Evangelism Cookout, uh, Michael Miles came early to help, help me set up, and I started speaking with him, Michael Miles in the Ministry of Education. And he talked to me about doing big brothers and big sisters and mentoring this primary aged kid. And uh, he, he spoke about how he was starting to focus, even in his job, more on, on primary kids, just because of the necessity of doing that. So I kind of took that in. And then a little bit later, like a, maybe a week later, uh, we had picnic, a picnic with my family and I with uh, the Waltons, uh, Kurt and Meredith and their kids. Now, Kurt heads up uh, drug enforcement for the police here. And as he talked to me about drug prevention and the education focus, he talked about primary age kids. Then fast forward to April, I'm having breakfast with a pastor friend of mine, uh, Randy Von Cannell at Cayman Baptist. He's a good friend. He and I meet pretty regularly. And he speaks with me about a top secret project 
All right, you'll, you'll know about this soon, but I can't reveal it to you now. I'll have to kill you. So I don't want that to happen. All right, so it's a top secret project. And he talks to me about getting involved specifically with parents of young kids. He said, parents, you know, whose kids are your kids' age. I'm thinking primary age children. Here we go again. So all this is coming together. And I get off file and go to this workshop. Or sorry, this, this conference in Orlando. And uh, while there, I'm convicted about God's heart for a multi-ethnic, multinational church. I won't talk about that now. You can listen uh, more about that in last week's sermon. But while there, I also go to a workshop on the externally focused church. A church, okay, that looks outward. This guy comes up, a couple guys talk about serving the city. How you can serve your city. And he encourages people to consider three things, okay? Three things kind of in these uh, circles. and, And intersecting the middle is service. All right, so those three things are the mandates of God. What God commands, okay? The unique vision and giftings of your church. And what interested me the most was dreams of your city. What are the dreams of your city? And where those things intersect are the ideal place to reach out to your community. So I thought about this, so follow me on this. The unique vision and giftings. Well, part of our vision is to reach out to our community through loving methods. We want to love people. We want to be salt and light to people. And in terms of giftings, we have all these young professionals in our church, Okay, young people, it doesn't matter if you're young, you don't have to be young, but we have all these young professionals, right, who uh, have the energy to work with young kids and who young kids tend to kind of look up to, right? Like they're kind of a little bit older, still kind of cool, unlike me, I'm starting to lose my coolness completely. So we have this, I think about the mandates of God. What does God say? He says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. Jesus says that, right? Jesus says, do not hinder the children for such belong to the kingdom of heaven. But the biggest mandate of God, I want you to hear this, that really convicted me, that's convicted me over the last couple years, in this famous chapter in Jeremiah, you know this chapter, where God talks about knowing the plans he has for us, right? Plans to prosper us, not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and a future. You may have heard this before, Jeremiah 29, 11. Well, the context for that verse is loving one city. See, God's people and Jeremiah, God's people have been sent into exile, away from their home. And perhaps some of you feel like that. Let's be realistic. Some of you here who are expats, you feel sometimes, you know, this is not really my home. I hope it is. Like for me, Katie and I, we feel like this is our home now. But in some ways, I understand why it's not. If you feel like you're in exile, this verse is for you. Jeremiah 29, 7. Where God says this, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Do you get that? By praying for, by caring for, by loving where you are, you will find your welfare. It matters to you. It will actually return to you manifold blessing to care about the city you're in. So this guy, these people who are presenting at this conference, he talks about how their church as it grew, they almost started a Christian school. Which he said, which is fine. But instead, kind of like Paul, they found out what their city cared about. 
So they got involved in elementary schools. Their city cared about investing in elementary schools. They got involved in elementary schools. And at this point, the dude looks right at me and says, one of the most welcoming spots for Christians we find where Christians can get involved and, and they're welcomed is elementary schools. It was like a, you know, like a laser eye to my heart. And I'm like, ah, oh, elementary schools again. See, guys, though I had not sought it out, God exploded in my face what this island cares about. And I had to ask myself this question. Should Sunrise Community Church fall apart tomorrow? Would it be missed? Right, should it dissipate? Should something happen? God willing, it won't. But something happened, would the community miss it? Our people might miss it. But I had to honestly answer, our community would not miss Sunrise Community Church. At this point in our church's life. And my prayer is that three years from now, as we love the community and reach out to it, that Cayman would unflinchingly answer, yes, we miss Sunrise. We miss it. So consulting my brother Mike Miles, who's going to share with us about the need for this, we knew God was leading us to adopt Georgetown Primary School starting this fall. And what I mean by this is this. By sending, uh, we're going to start by sending two teams a week to the school, like two occasions a week. And it might be every week or every other week, however people can volunteer. But we're going to send them to there to start out to read to kids <clears throat> before school. Because kids, guys, are dropped off oftentimes at 6.30 and left there until school starts around 8. Nothing to do, a little bit of breakfast and then pretty much chaos. And a lot of them haven't really learned how to read. And then after school or into the evening to play games and sports, go on field trips, participate in arts and crafts, including the culinary arts where they will cook. And we're going to maybe like once a month or once every other month have them cook for their parents. And then volunteers can meet with parents and parents can see what volunteers are doing and what a great opportunity that would be. I'm just giving you a brief sketch of this, but... Uh, each school's program would include at least one paid HR person who would direct volunteers. So we wouldn't be kind of wandering around aimlessly, bringing a basketball and making up games. All right? There'd be the support there. I know that I'm even going to bring Mason along with me. As Michael's talked about how important it is for some of the at-risk kids, especially, to see a father and son interact with each other, to hug each other. Plus, I want my son to see that this Jesus thing is real. You know? Not that it's just... People come and they do this thing and then they go out like a club. I want them to see that it impacts communities and people. Bring your kids. And this is not like rocket science outreach. By the way, there's also opportunity, uh, Michael mentioned, like drafting a letter you could bring to your boss to get out a little bit early from work. You know, official government letterhead for volunteerism. But this is not like rocket science outreach, spending time with kids, loving on them, playing with them. But I've just discovered, especially speaking with Michael, that these kids and parents need to see the good news lived out by insiders, people involved in their lives. Above me, you'll see a picture of our Discovery Day party we had recently to honor volunteers. All right, now I've canceled out one-fifth of the picture <laughs> because <laughs> this is so particular of me. Uh, because frankly, there are spouses and kids who aren't volunteering, right? Some of the spouses and kids. So I wanted to be representative of exactly how many people probably were volunteering, all right? <laughs> so if that's you cut out, just know it's just for effect, okay? Now, this is about 30 or 40 percent of our church. 30 or 40 percent of our church, all right? 
My prayer is for a 50-50 split. A 50-50 split. But not 50% serving and 50% not serving. But 50% serving one another in the body of Christ and 50% serving K-Man. That's a big goal. 100%. I am praying for the 100%. I know there will be some overlap. Some people will do both. But 100%. Where half our church is, is working, looking outward and Half our church is caring about the needs of the body. And at the end of the service today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond if you're interested in being part of the second 50%. Let me just finish with this. What will get you to respond? What's going to get us to do this? What's going to get us persuading and practicing the good news in the community? Why would we do such a thing? And that comes to our last thing. Power. Listen in verse 14. For Christ's love controls, or depending on your translation, it constrains, it compels us. In other words, there's this power, there's this compulsion. Christ's love is so great that it propels us along. But not just with words of love. But as Paul says, as he follows up, he's convinced that one died for all. In other words, Jesus took action. You see that? Love is made active. Where have I heard this before? Love made active. It's grace. Grace will compel us. Grace will motivate us. Gives us the power necessary to work up courage to persuade men to the good news. And the compassion necessary to practice it. As an insider. And that can be tapped into by you being reminded of the good news every day of your life. To have that power to have that courage, to have the compassion, we have to tap in to the good news ourselves every day of our lives. In other words, returning to a holy God each day, dragging ourselves before the cross, confessing sin, and then being reminded of God's gracious love towards us in Christ. That gives us the power. And here's the icing on the cake. Not only does grace motivate you, but having been persuaded having persuaded and practiced the good news, grace comes back to you. So it's not just the grace, it's the starter and the primer, but then grace comes back to you. Check this out, this verse. Philemon 1.6, Paul says this, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing, every grace that we have in Christ. So in reaching out with the gospel, you see grace in return and all around you. You see God come through, right? You open your mouth and he speaks. He shows up when we least expect it. That increases our faith. We get to participate in the greatest miracle of all, potentially, which is people, as John 5.24 says, crossing from death to life. You're spurred on to further share your faith. It becomes contagious. Once you do it, once you share your faith, it becomes contagious. And then watching another respond, man, it reminds you of the amazing grace which you've experienced in your own life. It reminds you of why you're a Christian. Grace comes back to you. Mary Frances Bowley leads a small group for women at Peachtree Baptist in Atlanta, Georgia. In fact, she heads up all the women's small groups. The women of the church were shocked one day when she told them all the small groups were being disbanded. 
They're going to be broken up until they began to actively reach out to their communities. So according to Mary Frances, the women went to the highways and byways of Atlanta to begin ministries to support women that no one else was reaching. Cashiers, food service employees, hairdressers, single moms, strippers, prostitutes. When asked to explain her mission, Mary Frances said simply, to save the women of Atlanta. To which someone asked her a follow-up question. Do you mean the, the strippers and the prostitutes? No, she responded. The women who are sitting in the pews of Atlanta every Sunday morning. Let's pray. Lord, encourage us with this truth that by sharing our faith, it is a grace to us like this woman described, in one sense, we need the unreached more than they need us. As one man once said, the poor, we need the poor more than the poor need us. Because through it, we begin to see the grace of God. And we begin to see the outpouring of His love for us. That's the icing on the cake, Lord. But you also spur us on because of your great love for us through Christ. Your love compels us. May it compel us to do this. To get involved. Lord, to really outreach. It might not be our favorite thing to do. You know, we might prefer something else. Maybe, maybe you could help, Lord, encourage people to help with an administrative role in, in adopting Georgetown Primary. Maybe it's a publicity role. I don't know, Lord. But encourage our hearts to reach out to others who need to not only hear the good news, but see it practiced. That's this in Jesus' name. Amen.